0: At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. This winter, we're taking a fresh look at a familiar story through our series Jonah, At Odds with God. Tune in now as we face the same choice Jonah did, to receive God's mission or to resent it. Well, this morning, if you have a Bible or electronic device, I want to encourage you to take it out and turn with me uh, to the book of Jonah. Uh, the book of Jonah. It's uh, Jonah's in the Old Testament. It's one of the minor prophets. And if you have my Bible, it's on page 774. Um, you may have a different number, but it'll probably be around there somewhere. Um, if you have an electronic device, it's really easy. You can just type in Jonah and you'll, you'll get there. Uh, as you're turning there, I have a kind of an audio visual here for you. This is a sign. You may have seen this in your life one time or another. It says, please... Look, but don't touch. Now, how do you generally respond when you see signs like this? Right? Yeah, you want to touch it, right? You, 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 you want to touch it. So naturally, you're, you'll find yourself, and you're probably on the spectrum of either like super defiant or compliant, right? Where you, That's the spectrum. You, when you see signs, you naturally want to reject it or, or rebel against it or you, you want to comply. Now, a lot of it has to depend for you on what sign this is in front of, right? If this sign is in front of a a beautiful chocolate cake or your favorite cake, what's your disposition to that, right? You're more than likely going to try to figure out ways where you can disobey this, right? Well, what if this is right in front of the cage of a very poisonous snake, some of you still, you're like, don't tell me not to do it because I'm going to do it. You'll find yourself trying to, to touch the snake, right? Well, naturally, and I bring this up because naturally inside of us, we, we have some level of compliance and defiance, and it, and, it, and it works together in different ways, right? Some of us are more naturally want to shake our fist at anyone that tries to oppress us or anything that tries to box us in, and uh, you may be that, that person that pushes against that. I'll never forget back in the, uh, the late 80s, early 90s, uh, there was a really big push when the laws changed that um, wearing your seatbelt became a law. You guys remember that? You know, when cars were first invented, they didn't have seatbelts. And soon inventors found out, well, if a car collides with another, people die, right? Like people go flying and, and bad things happen. And so they, they, they came up and they said, hey, let's start making seatbelts. So cars started having seatbelts and then they made it mandatory. And I can remember, like as a kid, I was a kid when like growing up, uh, my, my parents had a, an old van where the engine was pushed inside, and between the, the driver's seat and the passenger seat, there's like the cover. The, you guys remember that? It's like a Dodge or something. Well, when we would travel on trips, we had this little mattress, and that's where I would sleep. No one's got a problem with that, right? So, some of you are like, you younger parents are like, that's child abuse, right? No, that was just, that was freedom. You know, I'm driving down the road. I'm sleeping. My dad's driving. And there were a couple times where he slam on the brakes and, you know, I go sliding and all that. But that's, maybe that's what's really wrong with me. I, I don't know. Um, but yeah, I can remember like the seatbelts coming on. I'm like, don't oppress me. Like I want to sit in my car and I want a freedom of all this other stuff. And, and, you know, one of the things that they tried to do was to send out these PSA commercials. And I'll never forget this one commercial. And because what they were trying to do is trying to show the reason, the why behind the regulation, right? A lot of times we're more likely to comply if we can understand the why, right? If we don't understand the why, we just think it's a silly rule, right? We see a sign like that and we're like, that's just silly. Well, I remember back in the day when they, they were sending out these PSAs and there was this one commercial where Sally was a young driver behind the wheel, and she didn't have her seatbelt on. And as she's getting ready to pull out of the driveway, her mom says, Hey, Sally, make sure you put your seatbelt on. And Sally's response was, it's going to wrinkle my dress. And so Sally refused to wear. The, anyone remember this commercial? Okay, well, you may not. Well, she, So the next scene is the very next scene is Sally obviously has been in a car accident. And now she's paralyzed and she's in a, a wheelchair and her mom says to her, oh, Sally, oh, because she, she's got, she's like strapped in with a seatbelt. And now she's like, oh, Sally, you're wrinkling your dress. See the irony there? See, that was wise, right? They, they, they got you on that one because you're like, don't be Sally. Right? You, it is preventable. You, if you wear your seatbelt, then you won't end up like Sally. And that's, that's the big idea, right? And so we, we're more likely to comply when we know the reason why. Wear your seatbelt because it's safer when you drive. You're less likely to die or less likely to get paralyzed. Now you still can, but you're less likely to. So I say all that to say because it gives us the example in our own lives of the seeds of defiance that are there. Each one of us, right? Just at any moment in our lives, we can know the right thing and the right way we're supposed to go and we can choose to go the opposite. And if we give ourselves over to a defiant heart that will eventually make its way into our Christian life and the way we relate to God. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever known exactly what God wanted you to do and you've done the exact opposite? How'd that go for you? How'd that work out? Over the next couple of weeks together, we are going to spend some time allowing the Lord and the Holy Spirit to unearth in us the defiance that's within our hearts. Because at the end of the day, our goal is to be obedient to God and to follow him and to follow the path that he has for our lives. And so the best place we can deal with this is coming to the book of Jonah because Jonah gives us a perfect example of, of, of a follower of God that is defiant. Not only do we, are we going to see that Jonah was defiant, Jonah was angry at God. Jonah was at odds with God, and he struggled with God. And so we're going to take a look at this book. We're going to walk through this biblical account of Jonah, and we're going to see a lot of great things about God, and we're going to see things about ourselves as humans. But before we dive into this book, I know we all come with, with, with history with the book of Jonah, right? You may be a brand new believer. You may be here for your very first time and you like don't even know what the Bible is. And you're like, okay, I have no idea about what Jonah's all about. Well, you're in for a treat. We're going to take you on a journey over the next few weeks and you're going to see an amazing story about God. But for those of us that have some experience with the, the story of Jonah, I want you for just this time to throw out everything that you know. And let us take the word of God and allow it rebuild in our minds and in our hearts the truth of God's word. Because it's possible over time you've begun to believe or you've been taught different misconceptions about the book of Jonah, about the story of Jonah. And I want to tackle two of those real quickly. We'll get to some other misconceptions as we go along. But first of all, I want us to understand that the book of Jonah is an actual biblical account of history. The things that we read in Jonah actually took place in history. right? This is not a fairy tale. This is not a parable. The book of Jonah is not allegory. So if you've been taught those things, just throw those things out. Because this actually happened in life. And the challenge with like a book of Jonah, because there's some things that take place in the book of Jonah that, that contradict our experience, right? The way life works for us causes us to question the validity of the book of Jonah. Like for example, like I don't, you don't turn on the nightly news hearing about a large fish swallowing a man. you hear that last night? Right, we don't hear of a, a a plant that grows to full maturity like, like this and then dies. We we don't that's not part of our common experience. But that is not to say that God, the creator of all things, cannot do. God is, God is not bound by the same things you and I are bound by. Right? I am not all-knowing, I am not all-powerful, I am not omnipresent, but God is. And so when we come to a book like this, yes, it's hard for us to understand. Yes, it's hard for us to rationalize. But we can't do this unless we throw out, we we can't throw out the miraculous. So that's the first misconception. The second misconception is that this book is not primarily about Jonah. Right, this book is not primarily, Jonah is a character. He is one of the main movers in this book, but he's not the main character. Right? It's not just about Jonah and the whale, which we're going to see in next week is a big misnomer. It wasn't actually a whale. But that's not what the story is all about. You know, you go to, to, to Sunday school and you get these pictures when you're a kid and they're like, hey, color Jonah and the whale, and you're like, Jonah and the whale. Yeah, yeah. That, that's not the main point of Jonah, The main point of Jonah is for us to see how God interacts when his children are defiant. That's the story of Jonah. See, we're gonna see in just a moment that that you and I are Jonah. That we look at God's law, we look at God's words, we look at God's commands, and we shake our fist at him. And what I want us to see is how God responds. Because if we put together a a, a clear picture of who God is, as he reveals himself in scripture, he's the same God that interacts with us today in the very same way. So I hope over the next few weeks together, we get a, a bigger appreciation of who God is, even in the midst of our disobedience and defiance. So, at the outset, let me just say this. Defiance is dangerous. And defiance gets us nowhere. If you take away anything from today, that's what I want you to take away. The defiance gets you nowhere. When you defy God and his commands, it's not taking you to the place that you want to go. It's taking you in the exact opposite. So let's, we're just gonna look at the first three verses of Jonah today. So look, look at me in, in chapter one, beginning in verse one. It says, Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, And found a ship that's going to Tarshish. So he paid a fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. Now, I want us to see that defiance gets us nowhere, but there are two things about defiance that we see in this passage as it builds inside of our hearts. The first thing that we see is an understanding that I am God's servant and I know what God wants. Right? The one that doesn't know God, that doesn't understand their place as a servant, cannot understand what God wants. But defiance begins when we understand that I am the Lord's servant, and I know what the Lord wants. That's the first object, or the first thing that begins in defiance. See, verses one and two, we see God giving his mission for Jonah. And verse three, we see Jonah's response. But what we need to remember is that Jonah is a prophet set aside by God to speak God's words with God's authority to God's people. That's what a prophet is. To speak God's words with God's authority to God's people. That's it. That was his responsibility. His go- job was just to go and be the mouthpiece, not to worry about how that was going to work, but as a servant of the God, a servant of God, what we need to understand is just like Jonah was a prophet. We serve as prophets today as well, not in the same exact way, but a similar way, and I'll get to that in a minute. But what we need to understand is that when we come to Christ, we place faith in Christ, we become a servant of God. That means we become pieces. In God's plan for redemption. That means that God has the right to do with our lives whatever He pleases for His own glory, for the advancement of His kingdom. In some ways, we become pawns in the great chess match of God. And so, as a servant, His his role was to speak God's words with God's authority to God's people. I want you to hear that and then hear the words of Jesus that are related to you and to me as we think about our role. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 28, all authority in, in heaven and on earth has been given to me. You... Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Does that sound similar to God's call the prophet? Right? We speak God's words. We teach them with God's authority. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now, therefore, you go. And do what? Baptize, making disciples of all nations. So we speak God's words with God's authority for the good of God's people. See, so you and I are Jonah. You and I are called in this age, in this time, to call people to repentance. Repentance. We're called as messengers of God to go to the dark places and allow people to know that they're not okay. That they're on a path that's not leading to paradise, that's not leading to a place of pleasure, but it's leading to a place of eternal pain. That's our responsibility. So we are to go and to preach this message of repentance, the same thing that Jonah was called to do. But verse three, Jonah knows where he's supposed to go. Jonah knows what he's supposed to do and he knows what he's supposed to say. In verse three, what does he do? It says, but Jonah, what does he do? Instead of arising to go to Nineveh, he arises and flees. He goes the opposite direction of the way he's supposed to go. He defies God. I don't know about you. There's not a day that I wake up and I say to myself, you know, today I'm going to defy God. Do you do that? No, we don't do that, right? We don't wake up saying today I'm going to defy God. But when situations come, we end up defying God. Now, this is a scary thing is that Jonah defies God even though he has the word of the Lord. Verse one, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah. He has clear instructions. The God of the universe has spoken. Right? This is the same God that speaks and planets come out of his mouth in an instant. This is the God that knelt and, and, and formed Adam out of the dust and the dirt of the earth. This is the God that has power and this God clearly spoke to Jonah. He clearly told him what he needed him to do. Now, what we know about Jonah is that Jonah was a prophet. And in the past, he was faithful. Right? There was a time in 2 Kings chapter 14 that the word of the Lord came to him. And he went to the king and spoke the words of the Lord to the king. And God blessed it. But now, something has changed. Something has changed and Jonah is unwilling to bend his will to the word of the Lord. Jonah knows that God is gracious. Jonah knows that God is merciful. Jonah knows that God is loving. Jonah knows that God is jealous. He knows that God is just and he knows that God is righteous. And he has continued to see as all the prophets that had come, the prophets before him had come to God's people and said, repent, Right? You're living in a way that's not honoring the Lord. And the Lord is being gracious over and over and over again. So repent, repent, repent. That was the story of the prophets. And yet God's grace continued to cover his people. God's discipline on his people was continually restrained as God's people continued to walk in darkness. And continue to follow after idols and all that. And Jonah knew that at some point God was going to call his people to account. And that somehow God's people didn't see God's grace as an opportunity for them to turn. Instead, they saw God's grace as an opportunity for God to not only acknowledge, but approve of their behavior. So what's going on here now is that God comes to Jonah with his words and says, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it. You see, Nineveh was a part of the Assyrian Empire. They were dirty, rotten people. They were people that that Jonah was raised hating because they were oppressive, they were evil, they they did cruel things to people that they conquered and the Assyrians were not people to be messed with and so there was a deep-seated hatred in his heart for these people because they were a different culture, because they were different people. Yeah, there's racism involved here. Right, there's deep-seated racism in Jonah's heart towards the Ninevites because he was raised hating them. And now the word of the Lord comes to him and says, go and tell them about their sin because their sin has come up to my nostrils. The, the Lord has seen their sin and now God is willing and getting ready to move against them or move towards them And Jonah is so bothered by this. And the reason that he's so bothered by this is because he knows the power of God. That if he goes and if he tells them about repentance, guess what? They might actually repent. And that makes him angry. God, why would you save them? Why would you give them a second chance? And here's the crazy thing, right? God does not give Jonah the why. He just gives him the what? I need you to go and preach a message of repentance against these people. And in the absence of the why, Jonah begins to conjecture in his own mind what the why is. And in essence, what he's doing is he's sitting on the throne of God saying, God, I know more than you. I know better than you. These people deserve to die. They don't deserve your love. Now think about that. How much hatred must be in his heart towards a group of people that are different than him? that think different than him, that live different than him, that talk different than him, and have everything that's completely different than him, everything that he hates. Go to Nineveh and preach repentance. He knows what God wants him to do, but he doesn't do it. Do you know what God wants you to do and you don't do it? I mean, God has given us the greatest message of all time in the gospel. And yet, in some ways, we're selfish with it. Some ways, we live our lives saying, that person is not worthy of the gospel because they're different than me. Their clothes look different than me. They're not in the, in the same social circles as me. They smell different than me. They're not worthy of the gospels. Do we do that? Or do we look at the gospel and we say, this gospel is oppressive. This gospel is offensive. You're darn right the gospel's offensive. Because here's the thing about the gospel. The gospel of Jesus is this. We all are born walking in darkness towards destruction. Okay? That's the reality of life. We're all born. And so we don't know the, the right way to go we're walking in darkness and we're walking towards destruction and the gospel comes in and the gospel says, Hey, guess what? You're not okay. You're headed towards destruction and that's offensive because the person walking in darkness knows no better. They don't know any different. They really, in some ways, they can't even be blamed for what they're doing. Now, we know, according to Romans, they can in God's mind. But we look in and we see people walking in darkness and that should break our hearts because they're different. They're going to talk different than you. Yeah, you tell them they're walking in darkness and guess what? They're going to hate you. You're not going to be popular. You're not going to be liked. And guess what, Christians? Guess what, brothers and sisters? We got to get over that. We've got to get over that. People may hate you. People may revile you. People may do all kinds of hateful things towards you. But guess what? It's not up to us. Our message is clear from our heavenly father. Go and preach repentance. Now I'm not talking about, you know, maybe God's calling you to this. I'm not talking about getting a big poster board and sitting on the corner and saying, repent for the kingdom of God is near or for the end is near. Like you may be called to that. And if you are, go get your poster board. but we can't pick and choose the gospel, right? The gospel is this, some people wanna say, well, God is love, God is love. Yes, God is love. But if that's your only message, you're missing the gospel. The gospel is more than that. It's a gospel that says, yes, God loves you. But in order to receive his forgiveness, you have to give up complete control of your life. You have to die to yourself. That's the gospel. And some people don't want to do that. People people just, hey, God God loves you and God wants to save you. Okay, that's a part of it. But God wants not just a piece of you. He wants the whole thing. And that's the gospel message. We can't pick and choose. But we must proclaim the gospel message. So love your neighbors that are different than you. Isn't that what the Bible tells us to do? Right? Love your neighbor as yourself. Are you loving your neighbors? Do you know your neighbors? I mean, do you know their names? Do, do you know what's going on in their lives? How, how can we possibly live on mission for God if we don't even know our neighbors? Right? Do, do you not understand? that as a servant of the god a servant of god god has uniquely placed you in the place you may have think that you chose the house that you lived in or the apartment that you live in you may have thought that you've worked your whole life so that you make enough money to have this house you may think that that's all you it's not it's all god god has uniquely placed you in the place where he has placed you so that you can be a gospel witness to those that are around you your job Oh, I know so many people are like, God, just get me out of this job. I'm the only believer in this whole place. It's a dirty place. Well, guess what? Why do you think you're there? To be light in the darkness. God doesn't want to get you out. He's uniquely placed you there. This carries over this this idea of of being a gospel witness and and listening to the words of God and following through even applies in your marriage. I know marriage is tough, but I can't tell you the number of times I've sat across from couples that are like, this, I'm, I'm, talking, I'm not talking about issues of, of abuse. I'm not talking about issues of abandonment. I'm not talking about issues of, 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 of infidelity. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the, the couple that comes to me and they're sitting there and they're saying, you know what, this thing is hard and I don't want to do it anymore. I'm out. I just, I just don't want to do it. And, they, they, and then I have to remind them, you know, the word of God says you're in a covenant until death do you part. You, you realize that this is what God's word says and they're like, yeah, I'm out. And they choose to tear that covenant apart because it's no longer convenient for them or they're full of anger, they're full of shame, they're full of pride and this person hurt that person and they just, they part ways. I, I wanna tell you that God's word says what we're supposed to do and when we, we, we defy it, it's not leading us to a place of life and peace and rest. It's leaving us in a place of desolation. Or, or maybe, let's, let's get even a little bit closer Like You you know the word of God says that you are to forgive those that hurt you. right? If we're going to obey everything, then we need to hear the word of God that says, forgive, seek to be reconciled as soon as possible. Do you have unforgiveness in your heart? Is there someone that you see, or if you were to play back the memory reel of things that have happened into your past, and this person comes across that memory reel, and you feel that anger towards them, you feel that frustration towards them, God says, forgive. Defiance starts when we know that we are God's servants and we know what He wants. You know what He wants. We know how we're supposed to live in every area of our life according to scripture. And yet defiance starts when we know what God wants and then we do what verse three says. But, but Jonah rises and flees to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa and found a ship going to Tarsus, So he paid the fare, went on board to go down with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. He runs the other way. He rebels against God. He defies God. So Nineveh, let me just put this in context for you. Nineveh is about a three months trip. It's about 550 to 600 miles away from uh, where, where Jonah is at. Tarshish, on the other hand, is about 2,500 miles in the opposite direction. So it's not like Jonah like, misread the communication. It's not like he's like, oh, sorry, my bad. You said to go right, and I went left. That's not what he's saying. It's kind of like God telling you, I want you to go to New York City, and I want you to proclaim repentance there. And instead of going to New York City, you get on a plane, you get over to California, and then you get on a boat, and you go to Hawaii. This, This is the stark difference here. Right, Jonah is not going to the hard place. Jonah's going because he wants to sit on a beach and he wants to drink punch out of a coconut cup. That's what, that's what he's doing. He's not going, he's not like fleeing from the Lord so that he can, he can go to some other hard place. He's tra- going to a place where he can find safety, security and where he can rest. And in essence, what he's saying by his disposition to leave is he's like, God, I quit. Here's, here's my, my, my prophet um, uniform. I'm taking that dude off and now I'm going to go, I'm retiring and I'm getting out of this game. I'm not doing this anymore. I have to wonder, like, Jonah's like, okay, God, I quit. I'm not doing it. And he starts on his way down to Joppa and he's like, is he going to get me? And he continues on and he's like, he gets further and God's not doing anything yet. And so God's not doing anything. He finally gets down to Joppa and he's like, huh. I got away with it. I can say no to God. I can defy God all the way down. He's like, yep, if God was really displeased with me, he would have stopped me. If God really didn't want me to go down that way, God would have stopped me. No. God is withholding his discipline and giving you grace so that you see his grace and you turn back to him. See, Jonah was abusing God's grace with every single step. You see, we can easily be blinded into thinking God must approve of our plans when we see things going to, coming together in our disobedience. We might say things like, this must be God's hand of confirmation. I felt guilty for a minute, but now that I'm going, my heart knows that I'm okay and my heart feels that it's okay. You see, we can easily twist the will of God to fit our flesh because our hearts are set to run from God. Defiance takes us further away from God and faster away from him than we ever thought possible. I want you to see in this passage, so what was Jonah's end game? Like what was he hoping to do? We see a couple of times in verse three, his end game was he wanted to go away from the presence of the Lord. Do you see that? Christian, you don't want to be away from the presence of the Lord. Like you do not want to be away from the presence of the Lord. The place where we need to be most is in the presence of the Lord. And Jonah's like, I don't want to be in the presence of the Lord. Well, guess what? Outside of the presence of the Lord, it's dangerous. Outside of the presence of the Lord, you have no one there to protect you. You have no one there to be with you and fight your battles for you. You're going out on your own as a sheep among wolves with no protection. You don't wanna be away from the presence of the Lord. You wanna be in the presence of the Lord and Jonah's running away from God. He thinks it's absolutely possible to run away from the presence of the Lord. This is the second point of defiance and what it looks like. I know what God wants, but I will not do it. The author says he wants to make it clear that in these verses he mentions Tarsus three times. Go to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarsus. Go to Nineveh. I'm going to Tarsus. I'm going to Tarsus. I'm going to Tarsus. I'm going to Tarsus. I will not do it. I will not do what you want me to do, Lord. It's a very dangerous disposition, and this is what Jonah does. I am God's servant. I know what he wants me to do, but I will not do it. Why is he so bent against it? Here's the thing. This is why he's so bent against it. One, remember he grew up learning to hate these people. Right, because they were mean, they were evil, they were wicked. He didn't understand them. And so he hates these people. God says, "Go go to tell them. And so he's fitting in the why. Now he's coming in his own why. And this is the why he comes up with. Because if he goes, they may repent. And if they do repent and they get God's grace, then what may happen is that they may rise up and guess what? They may come against God's people. And Jonah loves his people. He loves his nation. He loves that identity. It's all wrapped around inside him. He he is trying to forego his, his godly identity for an earthly identity and he wants to save that instead of saving his heavenly identity. Does that make sense? Like, this is a big thing. He says, I'm not willing to give this up because your grace may be upon them and they may come and overthrow us. And guess what actually happens? They do. Right? God, God rises the Assyrian army and they come against God's people as a part of God's plan. But you see, it's not, it's not up to us to decide what God's will is, like his greater plan, the wise of the things he calls us to do. It's, it's not your place, young person, that's not married yet, when God says, hey, you should abstain from intimacy with another person until you're married. Like It's, it's not your job there to say, well, what does that mean? What does that mean exactly, right? Exactly what is, what's allowable here? Like, what what can I do? What can I do? That's the wrong question. You gotta see the why. The why that God gives you that prohibition is because he wants you to experience the exact intimacy with one person. Right, so that your souls can mingle together, so two can become one flesh, so that you can experience a, a, a refixing of what was broken in the fall. Remember when, when Adam and Eve ate of the tree? The first thing that says they were naked and they felt the shame. Like He wants us to go back there and fix that so that you can be before someone, fully bare before them and feel no shame. Like that's worth holding on to, isn't it? Right, That's worth, young person, That's worth holding on to. The same is true with everything that God gives us. You don't know, you may know the what and you may have been told the what your whole life and that makes you want to do this to God. I want you to know, seek to know the why. Don't stop at the what. Because what you'll see is that there is is joy on the end of there. There is life on the end of what God has for us. Believe this. Jonah says, I will not do it. And if we're honest with ourselves, we're all Jonah. I'm Jonah. You're Jonah. Especially when we know what God wants us to do. And we say with our lives and with our decisions, I will not. But guess what? There was a better Jonah. A better Jonah came. His name was Jesus. And Jesus was a better Jonah because he came to do what Jonah couldn't, or what Jonah initially said he wouldn't. You see, Jesus was God in heaven being worshiped continually at a place of security, a place of, of honor, and a place of glory, and a place of splendor. And God said, Hey, guess what, Jesus? I need you to go down there and save those people. Jesus is okay. And so he takes on flesh. Let that not be lost on you. Let that not be lost on us. Perfection mixed with frailty and death and decay. God in the flesh comes to earth. And what does he do? He preaches a message of repentance. Repentance. He says, you're going the wrong way. You're, go, you're living the wrong way. You're living for the wrong thing. And he talks about the kingdom of God and talks about the love of God. And then what does he do when he's done teaching? He pays the ultimate sacrifice. He gives of his perfect life for you and for me. And on the cross, all of your defiance, all of my defiance, the penalty for that was all placed on Jesus. And Jesus endured the wrath of God and then Jesus died. And God saw that his sacrifice was enough that he raised him from the dead. And now Jesus is alive and death is done. And the penalty for sin is gone away. And anyone that would believe in Jesus gets, receives his forgiveness and is made right with God and becomes a child of God. If you have not made that decision today, I encourage you today, that's the decision that you need to make. Believing that Jesus came with the message of repentance that says you're going the wrong way. Apart from Christ, you're going the wrong way. But if you place your faith and trust in him, then you become a child of God. And you have forgiveness. So, because of Calvary, because of the cross, we now have the mission to go and preach to the world repentance. That's our message. Not to water it down, not to step back and say, hey, I, you, you know, there's this, this person named Jesus, and like you can, you can have him on Sunday and then live however you want to. No, no, no. That's, that's not the message that we preach. We preach a, a, a message of repentance. You're going the wrong way and you need to turn to Jesus. And when we turn to Jesus, everything is made right. The instant that we place our faith in Christ, we are forgiven of all of our defiance. We're forgiven of all of the times that we turned away from him and said, I will not. Let us be Determined in our lives today to not go down to Joppa, to not get a ticket, to not head to a place of retirement or to a place of where we are out of the game, where we give God our our prophet uniform and say, God, I'm out. Let's not do that, but instead let's press in. Let us be reminded that God's grace and God's withholding of his discipline and his wrath on the world is coming to an end. There is a time when those that you love will have to stand before God and give an account for their lives. It's just gonna happen. So we must live out the mission that God has given for us. And let me just say this real quickly. Some of you are like, well, how do I live out the mission that God has for me? You gotta realize that God has given you circles of influence in your life. Your family, like that's around you, that's where you're called to make disciples first. Right? Make disciples, share with them the love of Jesus, tell them that Jesus loves them, but also tell them that there's a better way. Then you move outside of that and you've got, not only you've got family, but then you've got your friends, the friends that God has placed, you, placed in your life. And then from there, you've got your neighbors and your coworkers. And then from there, you've got people in our state. And then from there, you've got people in the United States. And then from there, you've got people to the ends of the earth. There's a whole big mission field out there. If we would understand our role as a servant, you're like, well, how do I do that? Do, do I need to go to the corner with the billboard? No, you don't have to do that. I mean, maybe, again, if God's calling you to do that. Because sometimes that works. I, I don't know. God is, does, is crazy like that. He wants to call people to himself when people preach the word of repentance. But if we're not preaching the words of repentance, then people can't hear and people can't know that they're going the wrong way. So how do we do this? Two words, invest and invite. You begin by investing your life in the people that God has put in those circles around you. Get to know them. Don't, don't go to work and live your Christian life in isolation like I can't talk to anyone because I'm a Christian over here. No, like let people know you're a Christian because what that's gonna do is gonna raise the bar of your accountability, Right? So let people know, hey, you know, I'm I'm a a Christian. Let them see you pray, like live that. But get to know them. Eat lunch with people. Get to know their hearts and invest, 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 invest. And as you're investing in them, you're going to build relationships with them so that when their worldview comes crumbling down on their head, guess where they're coming? They're coming to you. And then you invite. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Invite them to church. Invite them into this That's what it's all about—taking time to invest and inviting them into relationships with Jesus. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus, and I love to talk to you about Him after worship, you can come grab me and say, "Pastor, I need to know Jesus." But for some of us, the Spirit has been working, and that you may feel the heaviness of the Spirit today. Do not disobey. Don't continue to head to Joppa. But instead, if you know there's defiance in your heart and God has brought it to your attention today, bring it to the foot of the cross and say, God, I'm sorry for this. And then allow him to begin to rebuild um, just your, your, your understanding of his, his plans for your life. Or maybe today you just have been convicted about how you are in Tarsus where you've pulled yourself away from the game and you said, I'm out, I'm, I can't do this Christian thing. Like, I'm gonna live my Christian life by my own in isolation, and you've just stopped. And I wanna encourage you, don't do that. Like Get back on the boat, get back and get to Nineveh as fast as you can, for that's where the will of the Lord is. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for your truth today. Father, as we've been challenged by your word today, I thank you for your grace. I thank you that we live in this season where you are withholding your destruction, where you're withholding your judgment, but we know that that time is coming soon. So Father, may we not take that lightly. Father, if you've brought to mind today defiance in our hearts and in our lives, may we be quick to repent. May we be quick to bring it to your feet and say, God, I'm sorry for my I will not mentality, but God, give me the strength to say I will. Father, in these moments as we sing this song, this song of surrender, may it truly be the disposition in our hearts. May we not utter these words if we really don't mean them, but instead may we use the quietness of our voice to allow us to deal with the real business that's going on in our hearts. Help us not to hear your words and leave here unchanged. We pray in Jesus' name.